0: I'm Greg Allison, and you're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church.
1: This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Jen Wilkin and JT English. And today, we are also joined by Dr. Greg Allison. Dr. Allison is the author of many books, Including the Holy Spirit, which is in the Theology for the People of God series, and in 2023 he'll be releasing a kind of a uh, a simple simplified version of that called God Gift and Guide: Knowing the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's aimed really for lay people in the life of the church. And so we thought, hey, we're doing an episode on the Holy Spirit. Who should we have on with us? And we were like, no brainer: Doctor Allison, professor, pastor, author, and most importantly, longtime friend of the podcast. Dr. Allison, thanks for joining us today.
0: Thanks so much for having me back. I'm really pleased to be with you three.
1: Uh, well, we love to have you on the show. JT was actually just reminding us. JT, tell that story, because I don't think we've told this story before.
2: No, I mean, so the podcast has been, what, five, six, seven years now, different yeah, seasons. Like but we used to get to record in person. In 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 God's kindness, we've, all, we've been able to continue to do this podcast uh, in, in in virtual digital ways. But our last recording in person— was that second week in March of 2020.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, Dr. Allison was at the Village Church. He taught in the training program for us on this doctrine, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. is fantastic, again, why we want him to come back. But right before that, we did a podcast. Uh, and that was the last podcast we did in person. Immediately after that, he did a forum for us at the Village Church. And I remember one of our pastors getting up and saying, <clears throat> This COVID things going to be a week or two? It's not a big deal. Don't go buy toilet paper and we'll see you on Sunday. And I was like, wow, great. That's some, comp- that's the confidence we need and not knowing the- who would have known two and a half years later, here we are now digital. I'm in Colorado. Uh, Dr. Allison isn't with us in person, but you're the last in-person podcast host that we have had almost two and a half years ago. Isn't that a little crazy?
0: It's crazy. Yeah. I remember there are a few high fives going around there were, during that yes. podcast. And we can have JT some virtual high fives today. Were, <laughs> virtual high fives today. That's right.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it did. It did feel a little bit like a guerrilla warfare. It felt like Dr. Allison was brought in. It's like, a, oh, yeah, he was JT's PhD supervisor. Let's bring him in and talk about the Holy Spirit. And then like they had, you know, colluded together in backroom corners to dunk on jen and i and we wouldn't uh, do
2: that again i mean we've already done it once
0: no. why would we do it twice uh, yeah. and now you're blaming me for covid right and for the demise <laughs> of the live podcast thanks a lot
2: the last live podcast we had The last we're live so podcast. glad you're back maybe this is the last virtual <laughs> one who knows <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah. Well, this is actually Dr. Allison's third time on the show. We had him on for Roman Catholicism. We had him on for the Holy Spirit. And now we've had uh, had him on for this three-part series on the doctrine of the Trinity. This whole season is focused on the doctrine of God, and we wanted to consider who is God, God the Father. That was a couple of weeks ago. Who was God? God, the son. That was last week. And then this week, looking at the third person of the Godhead, God, the spirit. So let's just start here because I think this could be an easy place for clarity where there's often confusion. When we refer to God the Spirit, Dr. Allison, as the third person of the Godhead, does this mean he's in third place? Does this mean he's third best? Does this mean he gets the dregs of divinity? Uh, is that a, Are we giving him a demoted position in the Godhead when we say the third person of the Godhead in juxtaposition to the first and the second person?
0: Well, it does. It means he's on the junior varsity team just waiting (laughs) for God the Father, number one, and God the Son, number two, to call him up. There's a vacancy on the varsity team. Come on off the junior varsity team, you guy in third place. That's exactly what it means.
1: Okay. Or not. Okay. Or not. I thought we were about to have a breaking news update right now. Dr. <laughs> Allison denies the Trinity.
0: <laughs> I'm not going to do that. No. Uh, third place does not mean what we often think it to mean as inferior or somehow a lesser God. Uh, rather, it means uh, there's an order in the Trinity, an order of the persons. The technical term is taxes, and it means All the divine works begin with the Father. They're from the Father. They come through the Son. They're executed through the Son uh, by the Spirit. He's the one that perfects all the divine works. So all three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, always work together. They operate inseparably in creation, providence, redemption, everything. But they always work in that order, order from the Father through the Son, by the Holy Spirit.
1: Yeah. So when we think about this order, JT, you were about to say something, and maybe you are about to go down this line. When we hear the word order, mm-hmm. we're not using that order, like the order isn't of supremacy or no. worth or value, right? Even just to take
2: our listeners back to the definition that we gave uh, four or five episodes ago, about the doctrine of the Trinity, just to give some basic language. What we've said about the Trinity is that God eternally exists as one essence or one God in three distinct persons. Those three distinct persons are God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, each of whom are fully God. God the Father is fully God, God the Son is fully God, and God the Spirit is fully God, yet there's only one God. And those are the tensions that we're holding in Trinitarianism. Is the tension of monotheism, which we've discussed already, is that there's not three gods, there's not seven gods, there's not two gods, there's one God. But that one God eternally exists or subsists as three distinct persons Father, Son, Spirit, each of whom are fully God. And so we talk about taxes or order, what we are not saying, and this goes to that varsity and JV analogy, is that there's hierarchy within the Godhead. God the Father is not above God the Son, who is then above God the Holy Spirit, but rather we're talking about order, of saying the Father is the one who eternally sends the Son and the Spirit. The Son is the one who is eternally sent by the Father and who with the Father eternally sends the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who eternally proceeds from both the Father and the Son. And so we'll talk about some of those details in, in previous episodes, this episode, and in further ones, but we want I think one of the basic distinctions we want to make is, is this idea of taxes or order is not about hierarchy. It is not that God the Father is really God, and he kind of tells the Son and Spirit what to do. It's that he's the one who's eternally unsent. He is the fountain of the Godhead. But God the Son, in Augustine's phraseology around this and in, in the in the gospel, of, as he exegetes the gospel of John, is that he is life in, the Son has life in himself, which we talked about in that previous episode on God the Son, and same with the Holy Spirit, is the Holy Spirit is the giver of life. He is the one who has eternally existed as this third person, not in hierarchy, but in terms of order or taxes, as Dr. Allison said.
1: From where and when has God the Spirit come? Like, people might go, okay... Uh, where did God the Spirit come from, and when has God the Spirit come from there, right? I think that, you know, we've talked a little bit about this already in the last couple episodes, and I'm kind of setting up the question using words that are not appropriate so that we can clarify. But when we think of where and when has the Spirit of God come from, Dr. Allison, if somebody just said, okay, I understand. God created the world, right? Um, I understand God created the world. Where and when did the Spirit show up, and where did he come from?
0: Going back to J.T.'s uh, excellent definition, God eternally exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, The Holy Spirit being fully God, that means the Holy Spirit eternally exists. There never was a time in which there was not the Holy Spirit. There never was a time in which God was only the Father or God was only the Father and the Son. God eternally exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is not created. There never was a time in which he didn't exist. He always exists. He doesn't uh, come from a created act of God.
1: That's right. But, I, but he's not in the Old Testament, right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, uh, you know, if, particularly if you uh, don't look at Genesis 1 okay. right? <clears> 2. <throat> so, a beginning okay. passage in the Bible may indicate that the Holy Spirit's been around for a long time at least. Sure, right? Sure, sure. So, uh, he no, was the Holy not Spirit is all over the
3: Old believers. Testament.
1: <laughs> What's that? Okay. I said, but he was well, not in. Not- <laughs> <laughs> JT's trying to get us to the question of indwelling Old Testament believers. We have we have trod those paths, JT. Okay. We threatened him before we got on here. We're gonna but- have
0: another one of those high five moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here we go.
1: <laughs> now, so but nobody created God the Spirit. Right. Okay, and not even God the Father. God the Father didn't create the Holy Spirit. No. So when we talk about language in terms of uh, uh, – we've introduced this a couple episodes ago, a language of relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, JT, we often say that God the Father is eternally what?
2: Unbegotten.
1: But that that word
2: can connote – like that's that's a creedal word. Another way for us to say it maybe in in a bit more contemporary sense is he is unsent. He never sends himself. Uh, or is never sent by another in the story of redemption. God the Father eternally exists as the one who is unsent.
1: And last episode we looked at God the Son as eternally begotten,
2: right? Yeah. So that means that means not only in the story of redemption, which we see in Genesis to Revelation, the the Father who is unsent or unbegotten sends the son, we then would say that he is the one who is eternally sent, that the relationship between the father and the son isn't just one of the son being sent in redemptive history, which is true, but also that the relationship between the father and the son eternally is that he is unbegotten or unsent. He is the one who has a filial or a father and son relationship from eternity past. That, that relationship never began. It's always existed.
1: So for the Holy Spirit, what's the language we use? If it's eternally unbegotten for the Father, Dr. Allison, eternally begotten for the Son, what do we say about the Spirit? What is the language of relation?
0: Yeah, the Holy Spirit eternally proceeds from the Father and the Son. Or to contemporize the language like J.T.'s doing it, uh, the Holy Spirit uh, is eternally sent by both the Father and the Son. Mm -hmm. So there's that sending language. So whatever uh, eternal procession means, it does not mean – that the holy spirit was created it does right. not mean that the father created the spirit or the father and the son created the spirit it does not have anything to do with creation nor in my estimation does it have anything to do with the holy spirit borrowing deity from the father and the son mm-hmm. or to reverse the course it does it has nothing to do with the father and the son lending deity to the Holy Spirit. He's God of himself. Rather, eternally proceeding means that the Father and the Son eternally grant the third person his person of the Holy Spirit, which then distinguishes him from the person of the Father and the person of the Son. That's right.
1: Why, why procession language? Why proceeding? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think that's something that's always kind of been a question for me, is why 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 use procession language? Is it just, was that the language that felt appropriate given the kind of linguistic context of the early church? Why that language in particular? So
0: in Jesus's upper room discourse, right, he does talk about um, the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father. So there's that procession language uh, baked into our English translation of uh, the Gospel of John. So that's where it derives from. And then that was picked up obviously by the early church.
2: Yeah, I want to read that verse real quick because I think it gives some really clear uh, eternal relations and uh, redemptive historical relations between the Father, Son, and the Spirit. So it's it's John 15, verse 26, where Jesus, again, is in this upper room discourse. And maybe even just stepping back for a second, and we've said this a little bit, I just would really encourage our listeners, if you want to read some of the best Trinitarian language available, there are great books. Dr. Allison has written has written this book on, on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. There are other books that we've recommended here, I think, about uh, uh, Delighting in the Trinity uh, by, by Michael Reeves. These are good books. But I would suggest first spend time in John 13 through John 16. Jesus is really giving us and his disciples in this upper room discourse a phenomenal picture of these eternal relationships. And really at the heart of it is right here where he says – in John 15 verse 26, when the counselor, that's the Holy Spirit, or the paraclete comes, the one I will send it to you. This is, there's a lot of controversy in the, in church history around who sends the Holy Spirit, which is why Dr. Allison said both the Father and the Son said the Holy Spirit. The, when the counselor comes, the one that I will send to you from the Father. Again, that's giving relationships from the Father through the Son. Uh, this is the Spirit of truth who proceeds that's the that's the procession is biblical language he proceeds from the father and he will testify about me so the holy spirit comes not to testify about himself j.i. packer talks about the holy spirit having a spotlight ministry that that is to put a spotlight on the work of god the son namely in the incarnation mm-hmm. of jesus about who god is what he's done the image of the invisible god he will testify about me and you this is now to the disciples will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. And so you really have, in some sense, almost this eternal uh, relationship of the Father and the Son sending the Spirit, the Spirit coming to indwell believers in order to become witnesses about the Son because we have been with Him. And so in John 15, 26, in a way, you almost have this kind of, cosmic picture in seed form of who the Father is, who the Son is, who the Spirit is, and what our responsibility is of disciples of Jesus to be those who witness and testify about who the Son is in the power of the Holy
0: Spirit. Uh, The church has occasionally denied the deity of the Holy Spirit, seeing him as the third person, therefore lesser God, the unknown God or whatever. So there's been a denial of the deity of the Holy Spirit. Uh, There's also been a denial of the personhood of the Holy Spirit, Uh, as you've been mentioning, Jen, more a focus on his power and his influence, uh, his effects. And uh, certainly we want to affirm that the Spirit is powerful and that he uh, uh, causes great effects in this world, but he's distinct from his power. He's not just his effects. He is a person. So we can speak about his intelligence. He knows all things, even the depths of God. He knows the future. We can speak of the Spirit's emotions or feelings, sentiments, uh, like he can be saddened when we rebel against him, when we grieve the Holy Spirit. Um, he has a will, a volition, a decision-making capacity such that the spiritual gifts that we and our listeners have, have been given to us according to the sovereign good pleasure, the will of the Holy Spirit. So he possesses intelligence, emotions, will. These are characteristics of a person. Uh, plus he engages in personal activities like praying and yeah. teaching and bearing witness. No power praise, right? No influence mm-hmm. uh, simply bears witness So these characteristics of personhood belong to the spirit. Thus, we affirm that he is a divine person. We push back against those who would deny his deity and we push back against those who would deny his personhood.
1: Yeah. And Dr. Allison, here's something that I was thinking about Jen's question when she asked it to you. I'm curious, uh, why is it that, well, and maybe this is just it just could be a historical misunderstanding. It does seem like a lot of ink, so to speak, is being spilled in the early church on defending an appropriate and orthodox view of the son of God, Jesus Christ. Um, it feels like I'm pretty conversant with Christological heresies. It feels like, new, like, like you know, whether it's Arianism or Docetism, you know, like there's a lot that it feels like are kind of conversant. When it comes to pneumatology, though, I feel like I'm less familiar with those heresies. Were they just not making the same waves in the early church? Was it not as contentious? Was the ground a little bit more stabilized because of other battles that had already been fought? Or, or maybe am I just missing out on some real battlegrounds on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit because it just doesn't feel like it has the same heat to it that some of those Christological heresies did. Is that inaccurate or is that true?
0: No, no, I think that's very accurate. And it goes back to JT's point. So the Holy Spirit is sent to bear witness to Christ, to announce the good news about Jesus Christ. The Spirit is the one who prompts the church to do that. The church announces the person of Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so the early church focused on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. He is God, right? And he is Messiah. He is the one who died and was crucified and rose again on our behalf to save us from our sin. So the focus, rightly so, was on the person and work of the Son. And then as the church developed, right, we see the church baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Well, who is this Holy Spirit? We're we're engaged in understanding about the Son. There are battles being fought about the deity of the Son, the person and work of the Son. Well, how what now about this third person, the Holy Spirit, into whose name the church baptizes new believers? Who is he? And again, there's this then early church concentration on the person and work of the Holy Spirit, and then fighting against the Pneumatomachians, that was yeah. a group of spirit fighters who denied the deity of the Holy Spirit, who thought of him as less powerful, not the creator, inferior mm-hmm. in ways to the Father and the Son. And so the church does train its attention on the personal work of the Holy Spirit, but it's in connection with its attention on the person and work of the Son and uh, and the heresies that are circulating about him.
1: Got it. Now, JT, you were in a band in the nineties called the spirit fighters, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I was, I still am. That was before we're trying back, to make Just to be it's clear, been, that was
1: been. a pre, right, right. pre-crickleback. Okay. What, wouldn't, wouldn't the spirit fighters have been a great nineties contemporary Christian music band name. They just wouldn't have <laughs> known that it was tied to a ancient fourth century heresy. <laughs> like we're the spirit fighters.
2: Something I think you're right about Kyle and the, uh, to highlight I think what Dr. Allison just said and I could be wrong about this it's so hard to forecast where the church is going and the conversations we're going to have but I think one thing for our our listeners to be reminded of is we're always wanting to to pay attention obviously to what the Bible says the Bible is where we get Doctrine—it's where we learn about who God is, where God reveals Himself to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not only does the Holy Spirit inspire the Bible, He illuminates it for us, so that we might. Well, it may be a better way to say it: He illuminates us, so that we might be be uh, proper readers of the Bible. But as we think about the the development of doctrine over history, the church is always forced to answer the questions that come to it. And so for those first few hundred years, the primary questions were around the doctrine of the son. Who is Jesus? What has he accomplished on our behalf? How does salvation work itself out? I think the next few hundred years, I would say there's going to be two primary questions. There could be more than this. And again, I could we might listen to this in 500 years, but JT was dead wrong. Who knows? But it feels like the doctrine of development that the church is undergoing right now, if Jesus doesn't return, is around the doctrine of image bearing, which is not what we're talking about today. But what does it mean to be an embodied person? What does it mean to to have a body, to have a soul, and to, and to, and to be a whole person? But also, I, I just wonder if the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is going to be one of those doctrines that continues to overgo development or undergo development, not because it needs to be developed itself biblically, but because we need to understand and more clearly articulate what the Bible says about the person of God that is the Holy Spirit, and specifically how the Spirit interacts with us as image bearers. As we think about AI, as we think about some of the conversations around gender and sexuality, I just think the interrelationship between... doctrine of the holy spirit who he is what he does as creator god as the giver of life gift and guide as dr allison has said and how he interacts with us as god's image bearers i just think that might be something that the church continually needs to retrieve recover and to articulate to a world that that does not believe in the doctrine of the holy spirit or doesn't believe that we are divine Mm -hmm. image bearers who represent reign and rule on god's behalf
1: have you ever wondered what is god's heart towards you do you ever get stuck wondering how to study a bible passage the courage for life study bibles for women and the courage for life study bibles for men have over 1400 bible studies that's a bible study on every page of bible text access to the Filament Bible app lets you dive even deeper. If you download the app and you scan the page number, you can open up a world of resources, including over 25,000 additional study notes, hundreds of videos, and a full audio Bible. Start discovering at courageforlifebible.com. That's courageforlifebible.com for incredible study notes and an incredible study Bible. I think, I mean, it's it's possible that you're right. And one of the things, Dr. Allison, that I feel like when we think about looking back, that when I teach this, uh, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit in our Forge program, the one area that people seem to always be really like, why was that significant about the history of this doctrine? Was why was it significant that the early church sought to clarify that the Spirit proceeded from the Father and the sun. Mm -hmm. Like when I teach that in like our program, people are going, well, why? Why was that so significant? And why was there a division between the East and the West on this issue in particular? Like in their mind, it seems like, well, that's a relatively small distinction to be made. What's all the fuss about? Could you help provide clarity on that?
0: I'm going to go back to what JT just said a couple of minutes ago, uh, the most important thing that we do on any doctrine, and so on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, is read the Bible. And I think the early church was reading the Bible, and particularly the Upper Room Discourse, and this notion that Jesus affirms both that the Father will send the Holy Spirit in the name of the Son, and the Son will send the Holy Spirit from the Father. So there are clearly two senders of the Holy Spirit. Uh, according to Jesus in his upper room discourse. And so the church has to deal with this. And so as it develops this notion from John 15, 26, so the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father, the church notes, it doesn't say the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father alone. And so through theological development with its uh, finger pointed on the text, the church decides to add this expression the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, and it has very strong biblical warrant mm-hmm. and then later on, the church um, there is a strong very strong disagreement, and someone like a Thomas Aquinas says that we need to affirm that the Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son because if the Spirit proceeds from the Father alone there 's actually no way to di- to distinguish between the Son and the holy spirit that 's right it 's very complicated discourse on how that comes about. But his point is to affirm that the father um, generates the son or begets the son or sends the son and the father um, spirates or sends the Holy Spirit, we're not going to have a clear distinction between the second and third person that is the son and the spirit. We must affirm that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the father and the son.
1: Let me Yes, that is exactly what I was hoping you would say. But you introduced a word that I know for sure we've never introduced on this podcast because I was reading um, I was reading Thomas White's book on the Trinity this past week. And I was reading a section on spiration. I, and I thought, well, we've never told our audience. We've never used that word to our audience.
3: I'm so proud of you right now, Kyle. I'm so proud. I'm doing
1: my best. I'm, this is my best Jen Wilkin impression. Um, what is... When you say spirates, or when we talk about the spiration of the Holy Spirit, what does that mean? Because I encountered it this week and was like, I had to go back to my notes from seminary to be like, have I ever even heard this word before?
0: Yep, that's great. Spirate means breathe. Okay. Okay. Right? But here's the thing. We say the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. So we've just made a statement about the Holy Spirit. And we use the word procession. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Let's flip the order. Let's talk about the Father and the Son. What is their relationship to the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. The Father and the Son spirate the Holy Spirit. So it's just flipping the order of the sentence very simply. Uh, And so spirate means the Father and the Son uh, spirate or breathe, in my estimation, grant the third person his person of the Holy Spirit by which he is distinguished from the Father and the Son who spirate him.
1: Got it. Okay. That's helpful. Um, that's helpful. And that's I, – I know that that's probably new if you're a listener to this and you're like, wow, was I supposed to know that? it's good to know you weren't supposed to know, and you don't need to know how to use that word exactly to be able to speak meaningfully about who God is and what he has done. But I did think, okay, I was, it was interesting because as I was reading it this week, it was one of those areas where I feel like in Trinitarian theology, this is happening all the time, which is that you dig a little bit deeper and you're like, wow, man, I am confounded yet again by the incomprehensibility of the fullness of God. And I think Trinitarian theology typically leaves us in a position where we go, like Paul, oh, the depths and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, right? We're led to a place of uh, almost necessary doxology to meet the gap between what we know and what we're still seeking to know through faith. So thank you for explaining that.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with what you just said. Yeah, there is a mystery. And I mean, I've been at this for many years, and there's always something right below what i've just learned to learn more and it's it's uh, there is a, a an eternal reality that we explore with this but you said you know we want to talk meaningfully about the trinity about the holy spirit and so when we talk about procession and spiration right we're just giving words for our, for us and for our listeners so that we can speak meaningfully about the Holy Spirit. It's like if we want to learn the game of chess, we have to learn a pawn and a bishop and a rook and king and queen and and that, and what they do. And that's what we're doing here. We're learning these words, spiration and procession, and how they function so that we can talk meaningfully about God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, who ultimately is uh, divinely mysterious and incomprehensible.
1: Jen, when you're teaching, I mean, you've taught through, gosh, I don't know how many books of the Bible you've taught through at this point in your teaching career, but you've certainly covered ground on the Holy Spirit. When you teach through this and you hear listener or student questions back to you, are there any questions that you feel like, man, these are top shelf common questions when it comes to the Holy Spirit? Like I feel like the one I always hear is, is the Holy Spirit a force? Yeah. And you go no, we got to. I got to talk to you about the personhood of the spirit. Is there something that you've heard recurring in your teaching?
3: I think the thing that's hardest for people to get a grip on is if God is spirit, what do we do with Jesus in a body? Like, you know, how do you how do you mm-hmm. reconcile that he is everywhere, fully present until he's not? Like, it's hard for people to kind of make those two things work together. Um, that's a big one that comes up. But I think also just that idea of uh, I think there's a that Well, I mean, honestly, it's probably what John's epistles are dealing with, that early form of Gnosticism. The idea that the role of the Spirit is to give me the individual and insight um, versus that the role of the Spirit is to bear witness to the testimony that is available to all of us as believers. Um So it's not that the Spirit wouldn't ever give you the individual an insight, right? It's just that that's not going to be an insight that is not available to all of us um, in in some way. And so I think there's a lot of confusion. I think when we think about the Spirit as a helper, it's like he's my personal um, Sherpa instead of he's Mm -hmm. he's, uh, the third person of the Trinity. Right, yeah.
0: Jen, do you ever get questions about... Uh, worshiping the Holy Spirit or praying to the Holy Spirit? And how do you answer those?
3: Oh, how do I answer them? I go, well, Dr. Allison has written a fabulous book. No. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of question, And even JT has helped me a lot with this, um, thinking about like, how do I pray? Who am I praying to? Who should I pray to? And obviously, it's okay if you pray to the Spirit, um, but it's probably not precise right would you guys say that
2: yeah I think the way I would say it is it's probably not normative I mean Jesus instructs his go. disciples to pray to the father and then as we think about the eternal relationships we the only way we can pray to the father is through the relationship that is mediated mm-hmm. by our great high priest the son and the only way that he can mediate it is by giving us his holy Spirit so we normatively pray pray to the Father through the Son and by the spirit but that doesn't mean we can't pray to the son and, and to the spirit the, the, yeah. the challenge that I would push push on for people who are maybe normatively praying to the son and to the spirit is when you do that, make sure you're praying to them in accordance with their eternal relations. The son, so like, for example, if I had a dime for every time I heard this phrase in prayer, thank you, father, for dying on the cross for our sins. (laughs) Yeah, it happens all the time. I've heard it. I've heard yeah, it. it in, I've heard it in like divinity school chapels. I won't name any of them. Like, but this is not <laughs> something that's that's like uncommon. Or, or, or you know, Jesus. We're, I'm just so thankful that you indwell me.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, in
2: one sense, He indwells us because the Spirit is His Spirit, but it's a little mm-hmm. imprecise in terms of the language. But we could say things like Holy Spirit. I'm so thankful that you've inspired God's word for me. And I'm so grateful mm-hmm. that as I open it, you are with me and illuminating my mind so that I can mm-hmm. understand it. Thank you for breathing life into me. Thank you for for making sure that even when I don't have the right words to say, that by your spirit that the Son and the Father can understand the, even the groanings of my heart and soul. And so certainly we can pray to each person, Father, Son, and Spirit, but we do so in accordance to who they are. And sometimes one of, the, one of the examples that I'll use when we teach this in the Storyline Institute is people will push back like, JT, do we really need to be that precise? Like, do we really have to be that accurate? I mean, doesn't God just know the intentions of our hearts? Doesn't God just know we love him? Can't we just kind of use a grab bag of biblical words and kind of toss them wherever and I'll say, "Yeah, probably I mean, I know that I love my <laughs> wife I mean she's five foot two, has brunette hair and and is really artistic and and she just knows that I love her and usually, Macy's in the room when I say this, and people are like, "Oh." Like how how could JT say that his wife is five foot two with brunette hair because she's five foot ten with blonde hair and is <laughs> not artistic but very athletic, and so precise language does not alleviate us from or maybe a better way to say it is our use of precise language is because we love who God is of our affection yeah yeah our yeah. affections for who the Father who the Son and who the Spirit are should drive us towards wanting not just to love God but to know Him in the deepest ways how He's revealed Himself in Scripture.
3: I think we're kind of in an era of what I would call word cloud Christianity, where you just have like the big Mm -hmm. word cloud and you just pick the one you want. But I do have a question for Dr. Allison uh, that's related to what you asked me. Um, So, you know, we hear a lot of the language of Holy Spirit, come and fill this room or come be with us. And, you know, and I would be curious to hear... That was what I wanted to
1: ask too. Yeah, I, I wanted to know like that too. <laughs> no, you go first. I'm You're so glad. I'm so glad
2: you guys asked.
3: Yeah, I mean, and I think even more, even more than we hear it in, you know, from someone on the platform. Although you do sometimes, it's it's all over the lyrics of our songs, and so I would just be curious: is that bad? Is that okay? Is there a way to understand that? It that is, um, trinitarian, or is that just weird?
0: Well, again, going back to some precise. Language. I don't think invitation is the right posture. We're not inviting the spirit to be where he hasn't been or invite him to do something that he's not ready to do, but we're going to get him involved. Uh, Maybe it's more a recognition Mm -hmm. with worship and adoration that the spirit Mm -hmm. is indeed present to bless to illumine his word, to direct us in prayer, to empower the preaching of his word, and all like that. Uh, and, and so recognition, acknowledgement with adoration and and adoration and, and veneration and honor and glory would be more appropriate than, you're welcome in this place, we invite you in. That would be my take on that.
3: Anybody else want to jump in? <laughs>
2: No, that's what I'd say too. I mean, there's acknowledgement here. I mean, so for example, if the Holy Spirit is God, which we've, we're all agreeing he is, and that's what the clear testimony of the church is, then one of the attributes or one of the characteristics that we know is true of God is omnipresence. Mm -hmm. He's here. And for us to suggest in any way in our prayers that he isn't here is to suggest that he isn't God. And is to wield our prayers and authority to suggest, I know you're not in this room. And by omnipresence, I know we don't just mean locality. Like if I, you know, hit Mm -hmm. this table, doesn't mean I'm hitting God. We're not, that's not what we're saying by omnipresence, but powerful here, present here, able to do whatever he wants here. So I think we should, and I'm actually okay with the language of a Holy Spirit. We invite your presence here. If if what we're saying is we acknowledge your presence here, we know that you're here, we know that you're ready to act, and we invite your action upon us in any way that would be, a, would be in accordance with what we see you doing in Scripture.
3: Yeah, I think what we have to be careful of is any mindset that thinks if we don't invite him, he won't then come. we will have a less than right. gathering <laughs> yeah. or he's not allowed to enter the room until he's been invited in, you know, those kinds of things.
2: I think that's exactly right, Jenny. You look at Acts chapter two at Pentecost, the, the disciples are up in the upper, like they're terrified. They're mm-hmm. not sitting there saying, mm-hmm. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come make your presence available. They're like, what are we going to do? How are we yeah. going to make it? And then boom, the, the Holy Spirit shows up, you know? So yeah. I think it's exactly right. The Holy Spirit mm-hmm. does what he wants.
1: Yeah. And sometimes the language sounds a lot like a vampire where it's like <laughs> the Holy Spirit would like to enter the room, but he must be invited in. Uh, you know, he he's, he's he's standing at the door. He wants to come in uh, and uh, fill your, your life, but uh, he can't because you have an invited him in yet, you know? Uh, but the Holy Spirit isn't Dracula. That's my hot take for this episode.
2: And if he is, I'm going to be wearing su- garlic hold around on, my Hold neck. on,
1: he, The Holy Spirit <laughs> isn't Dracula. He doesn't suck your life. He gives you life. Oh, okay.
3: no, <laughs> stop it. Nope. Stop oh, no. it right now. No, don't high five that, Dr. Dr. Oh, Allison.
1: No, if you I use, already did. If you want to <laughs> use that for your next book, Dr. Allison, you don't even have to footnote me for that. No citation required. I'll give that to you as a freebie.
0: I actually was. I wanted to entitle this new book on the Holy Spirit I'm writing. I, at the urging of my kids, I was going to call it "Ghostbusters: Demystifying oh. the Holy Spirit." Did you like that? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> my amazing. publisher decided not to go with that. Yeah,
1: that's probably a wise choice. But on
0: a more serious yeah. note, going back, uh, you know, we we talk about inviting the Holy Spirit, welcoming the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, a positive thing about that is we're not binatarian. Mm-hmm. Uh setting up our yes. worship for the Father and the Son only. That's and really I would right. like to see right. a correction here that we do uh, address the Holy Spirit much more in our worship services than is true in many churches. I, I would guess that many of our, our people, our congregational members... Uh, are very familiar with the Father and the Son, have a lot of mm-hmm. suspect and uh, suspicion and concerns about who is this third guy, the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. right? And and so uh, I think we need to have a pattern of liturgy which highlights the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our triune God, and not overlooks the third guy.
3: That's good. Which would be a more historic articulation of our liturgy, right?
2: Absolutely, I would agree yeah, with yeah. that wholeheartedly, no, no concerns. I would also just to add to that. Not only do we need our, like our churches, our communities to have more maybe orchestrated or planned out liturgies around addressing father, son and spirit. But, and this is, I think, John Owen's point in communion with God, where he talks about fell, like the Christian life, like the actual, like the lifeblood of a Christian is fellowshipping with all three persons. And so I wouldn't, I would just encourage our listeners to think about, do you like the question? And this is not meant to be like a, Drive by guilting, but like, do you fellowship? Do you commune with God the Holy Spirit? Or do you only commune with God the Father and the Son? And so, for our communities to be oriented around all three is entirely appropriate. But for your life today, like as you're listening right now, have you thought about have I communed with God, the Holy Spirit today? Is he with me? Have I, have, am I, is he, have I acknowledged his presence with me? Am I attuned mm-hmm. to what he might say to me? Am I in tune with the gift, not just the gifts of the spirit that are really popular to talk about? Am I in tune with the fruits of his life? Like love, joy, peace, patience, mm-hmm. kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Like, are those the things that are, are not just flowing out of me because that's what I'm trying to do but are flowing out of me because the Holy Spirit indwells me, and I'm thanking him for that. So so fellowshipping with the triune God in church is absolutely accurate. But every single day, individual Christians are called to fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the
1: Spirit as well. Yeah, that's good. Dr. Allison, thank you for joining us today. It's always a treat to have you on. If you were watching this over on the Patreon, then you would have noticed that we were all wearing black shirts like we're in a band together. Uh, or an improv group. Spear fighters. Uh, <laughs> yeah, spirit spear fighters. Spirit fighters. Spirit fighters.
2: fighters. <laughs> this morning I got on, I put this shirt on, Ow. and Macy was like, You're Kyle's doppelganger. That's the only shirt Kyle owns.
1: <laughs> it's true. I, well, I only wear black shirts, but we, uh, we all ended up wearing black shirts today uh, and uh, because we're in one accord by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, I also wish that people could see that the
3: Spirit is actually yeah. indwelling yeah, Kyle's right head in it all is. of the shots. He's got like the, the Holy Spirit. The, the manifest presence of God yeah. is funneling into the top. Yeah, that's by four persons.
2: Four persons, <sighs> one band. The Spirit Fighters.
1: Oh, there we go. <laughs> no, no. Uh, well, listen, you should check out Dr. Allison's books if you have not. He's been on many times. You have no more excuses left. We would point you specifically to the book that he has written, co authored with Dr. Kostenberger on the Holy Spirit, which is in the Theology for the People of God series, or to look towards 2023 and pre order when it's available God, Gift, and Guide, Knowing the Holy Spirit. Thank you for joining the show, Dr. Allison. You can find Knowing Faith on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Leave us a review online. Don't miss our sister podcasts, which are now uh, going through their great seasons, the Family Discipleship Podcast, Confronting Christianity with Rebecca McLaughlin. In our next episode, we're gonna be introducing God's incommunicable attributes and having a discussion there. We hope you enjoyed it. Grace and peace.